to be a Midwestern woman. When you and I drink wine together, like it, it really never ends. And then usually it ends like me, like barking like a dog and you're just like laughing. Uh, Yeah. 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 So Jill and I met a long time ago. It seems like a long, long time ago now. I mean, it was before. Do you have? It was before. Do you have any idea when that was? What year was that? I mean, I'm pretty sure it was like 2007 or something because Brett and I were already married. Yes. And it was during Hogwash, which was the kids' show we were doing, or that's how we met. Yes. Doing. Yeah. Jessica and I met doing improv for children. And I say that as if that's funny. It's what I still do. It is funny because I don't like doing it. <laughs> um, no, that is what you still do, which we will touch on that. And yeah, we were, we met and we had to stay in a room together. We didn't know each other at all. There was one bed. So we just were like, okay, we're sleeping in this bed together. And I just immediately felt comfortable with you. And then we weren't supposed to be drinking in the house where we were being housed because someone was in AA and like the classy ladies we are somehow got, you know, whatever, natty ice or something. Time out, time out. You need to rewind and remember that the entire week, everyone else was drinking. Oh, yes. And I was going to curves all week and on a diet and working out all week. It was the one day I... People might not know what curves is. Were we that far in the future that... I don't know if they exist anymore. If they do, then maybe people do know what it is, but curves is a workout place. It was, but not, it was like a women's only circuit room where you yeah, you would like do something for 30 seconds and then go on a machine for 30 seconds and then like cardio for 30 seconds. Um, and the funny thing is I started curves in Chicago, I didn't know I didn't start it. I started doing curves um, in Chicago um, with Lori Diaz and Sharna Halpern. They were my curves. That's right. Yeah, you. I remember this. Yeah. But the curves thing is interesting, which we should, we will get back to that later because we're <laughs> going to be talking about food. But, um, but yeah, you were going to curves all week. You're right. We were being very like mindful of our health. And it was the one day that we were going to go to the Cleveland County Fair. And it was my one day to like be crazy in overalls. And it was the one day that they were like, well, here's this, which now looking back, I'm also kind of an asshole because they're like, well, you can't drink in front of this one person. Um, So instead, Jessica and I shotgun beers in the bathroom. We did. And it was. Like we did it and then we were just like all jacked up to go to the fair. And then we went to the fair with everybody and we had, we drank and of course nobody else had, and I'm sure nobody really knew that we did that. And then we just ate unbelievably like shit at the fair. 
Oh, unbelievably. If it was I mean, fried, I put it in my mouth. You hadn't eaten carbs all week. I wasn't <laughs> really being like that. And then we went to the fair and you ate like a steak sandwich, a fried Snickers. I don't even know what else, but you like every booth. You were like, I'm getting an elephant ear. Yeah, I ate everything. And then I woke up the next morning and ate a V8 and a hard boiled egg. But you know, I don't remember ever shotgunning a beer before that, like, except for maybe like in college. And this was like almost, this was like seven years after college for me. So like, it was interesting that we felt comfortable enough with each other to do it because we didn't even know each other. We were just like, we're doing this. No, we didn't. We made ourselves become best friends in like 24 hours. <laughs> so that's how we met. And then kind of just didn't really see each other for a while. No, because you quit. Yeah, I quit Hogwash and then you stayed with them and you went and worked for Sharna at IO Theater. And then I was working for the Royal George Theater. And then when I started the Chicago Comedy Film Festival, I asked you to be on my advisory board. Which I felt very adult. I remember like we met up and it was like, how are you? Oh my God, why haven't we hung out? But that's how it is in the improv world is that you just, you meet people and you become really close with them and then you move on to the next show or the next gig. And you're like, all, and then like all of a sudden you're in another subgroup yeah you know but uh yeah and then you you were on the board and then we just we've become very good friends and here we are in 2020 so um the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is because you were not really a byproduct of the midwest per se because you were raised in many different cities. So tell me about that. So my family is originally from the Midwest. Um, my mother and father, or at least this is the story I am told, uh, lived on the same street in Oak Park. They got married. My older brother was born here, born in the Midwest, born in Oak Park. And then my family moved to Colorado and my mother was super hippie dippy in Colorado Springs. Um, and I was born there. And then my little brother was born there. Then my parents got divorced, both got remarried. And my stepfather was stationed in Germany. So I actually grew up in Germany for three years. Um, yeah. like before preschool, preschool, preschool and kindergarten. And I remember like super fun things of like going to an American school in Germany that will cut, like I'll often forget that I lived there when I was little. And then I'll have conversations with people and I'll be like, oh yeah. And then we had to take fluoride in the middle of school. And they're like, what? And I'm like, oh yeah, there's a little tidbit. Uh, and then we, he got positioned, uh, stationed back in Maryland on the proving ground. So then my mother's side of the family pretty much stayed on the East coast, hopping in little towns around the proving ground there. But my father, my father traveled a lot. So 
every summer we went to a lot of different places to live with my dad for part of the summer. And then I grew up with my mother primarily on the East coast. And then right after college moved to Chicago and my aunt still lives here at the time my grandmother was living in Wisconsin. And I remember always traveling to visit my grandmother in Wisconsin when we were young too. So my mother feels like she, my mother feels like she has a pull back to Chicago. Like it's her home. Yeah. Wait, so then what year would that have been that you moved to Chicago? 2003. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right after college. Yeah. I guess I didn't realize that because I came the year before. So I didn't know we actually were, have been in Chicago together that long. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so I guess then since you have spent, you know, most of your life in one place and then a good portion of your life in the Midwest, what is it about the Midwest that you think is different from other places that you've lived? I mean, especially Maryland and the East Coast. So my older brother came to visit me once years ago when I was first had been here for a while and we went around downtown and whatnot. And he was like, everyone here is so nice. Uh, (laughs) East coast people are not nice. Yeah. Like it is slower, even though we are more, it's an urban Chicago is urban even from where I grew up, my brother was like, wow, they're nice. Yeah. Which is funny. Cause like your family feels very Midwest to me. Cause they're really nice, like, and very hospitable. So, so I Midwest, think that's really interesting. Does Midwest equal nice? Well, so that is a question because I think that that is sort of a perception or what people often say about the Midwest is that we're very like homey and inviting and like, we're always trying to like take care of everybody. I think that's more of a Midwest woman thing. Okay. Um, but I mean, I can see it from the perspective of like, if you go out in other places, like I haven't lived on the East coast, but I've lived on the West coast and I definitely feel like, just in general, when you're out socially, people don't like go out of their way to smile at you necessarily, or it's not really a situation where like, if you're at the bar with a stranger, like they're not really going to necessarily like acknowledge you just because you're both alone. And I don't even mean like in a dating sense. I just mean like when you go out in the Midwest and you're like at a restaurant and you don't know someone at the table next to you. Like I'm, I feel like people just are so, they want to talk to you. I would feel like that, especially women. So I will say if I am in a store or on a call with someone and not like a friend, like a transactional call, my husband very much says that I talk too much and these people don't care about the little day-to-days of my life. I mean, that is one thing that I really love about the Midwest is that 
you do feel really welcomed. But then there is sort of the other side of like, do you feel or have you ever felt at times that then it, because people are so focused on like making you feel welcome and, you know, just that hospitable approach that it then becomes that um, it's harder for people to be like honest and authentic about what's really happening. Um, Cause I, I find that people are just more passive aggressive because they're afraid to hurt people's feelings. And, and I've known you for a long time and you're a pretty direct person and the way that you say it is like really nice, but you're really direct. (laughs) (laughs) But like, do you think that that's something that has been like, have you received that same thing in the Midwest? Do you think it's different? Uh, So my husband is from Michigan and Michigan is one part of the Midwest that I think loves itself more than anything else. Like I, I like, I believe like on the level of Texas, like Texas is so pro Texas. Michigan is too, like, but in a nicer way. Yeah. Um, that I, Almost, I almost fear a little bit that Michigan is a part of a cult and there's something in the water and I don't know what it is. <laughs> I tell you about, um, my mother and I were up in Grand Rapids before the wedding. I don't remember. Cause I remember you had to go up and get your hair done. So my mother and I are up in Grand Rapids, uh, we were going to look for shoes, yeah, and get my hair and makeup tested. So I wanted to take my mother and give her a big makeover. And we ended up going, we got our hair and makeup done. And then we were like, oh, let's find a place that's doing some live music and have dinner. So we go to this place. Granted, the table right next to us is the women that did our hair and makeup and owned the salon. So they're like, oh my goodness, you're here. And I'm like, okay. Then somebody else randomly comes to our table who does not work at the restaurant and is like, how do you, are you enjoying yourself? Like what brought you in? So we start chatting and it comes up about the wedding and they're like, hold on, let me get the head of the chamber of commerce. And brings them over and they're talking about making welcome bags for my guests. And I'm like, what is in the water? Like, why are you this nice and over the top? And I did go to the chamber the next day. They got some stuff together for like, but it was almost like, this is too nice. Like, yeah. And like, they were telling us all the history of Grand Rapids and the different restaurants. And hold on. Do you want to meet Bob? Let's get Bob. Bob, come over here. Tell her about the band. How did you find Like, and everyone, I was just like, what? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think the truth of a lot of these, I mean, Grand Rapids is a bigger town, but I've encountered smaller Midwest towns where it like at first glance, it's like that where everyone is like, oh my gosh, let us show you everything that we love about our town. But I unfortunately think that the, 
maybe like the problem in that sometimes is that like, then there's this denial of reality of like the things that might be wrong. <laughs> well, that's like, and it made me very skeptical of things. And I was like, that's such a horrible, it just <laughs> makes me go with like, what's wrong. But this is, and I think this is really important because um, maybe in my younger self in that kind of a situation would just like eat it up and I would be like so in it and not necessarily that specific situation because that all sounds very like um <clears throat> like that's normal like you're there for a wedding and they're just trying to get you to like buy into their culture which I think makes sense but like in other situations where people are like overly nice in the midwest at, as a young woman I would really eat that up and I would really just like find myself almost being gullible to certain situations because you want to believe that the world is so wonderful and nice. And I think that that does a disservice to women because we maybe have in the Midwest, we're kind of taught to like not question things or not be like leery of things. And again, I'm not saying that about the situation in Grand Rapids, but I do think that it happens sometimes where you get caught up in certain dynamics and then all of a sudden you're like, Oh wait, I just got sucked into this circle and there's a lot of like politics and weird relationships going on. And how did I not see the red flags? You know, Mm -hmm. I think that is sort of a thing that I found where, but then on the flip side, when I lived on the West coast, everything was very straightforward to, to a fault because it would hurt my feelings, you know, like (laughs) there was no candy coating anything in Los Angeles. I mean, that's Los Angeles too, which is like, can be a very harsh city. Well, but like, and Los Angeles in the, um, in show business, which is even probably more direct and rude than any other business. But I'm like, I kind of, I kind of appreciated it. I mean, I did cry really hard once. Um, Why'd you cry? Because I. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, tell us. I'm, Why did I really make you cry? I'm supposed to be interviewing you. <laughs> um, so I was in this class. This is, this is a great story. And I hope it helps someone because I actually had to go to therapy for this because I was taking acting classes at a cult. It was a cult and I'm not going to name the cult, but I got referred to go to this woman's theater company. It was very popular and I paid a lot of money and I was in a class um, towards the end of my cohort and I had taken a picture of myself on set of some show and I can't remember what show it was. I think it was, um, what's the one with Carrie Washington scandal. Yeah. Yes. I was on an episode of scandal as like a featured extra. So I actually got it like a trailer and I, but I didn't have a line or anything. It wasn't a speaking role, but they like gave me a trailer because I had like a wardrobe change or something. I don't even remember. And then I went to class and someone said, oh, I saw you were on set yesterday. And I was like super embarrassed and had a lot of shame about it because I felt like the perception was that I had like a day player role. And so I lied 
and said I had a day player role. I was like, oh yeah, I had a line. And I was so embarrassed and ashamed of saying that. People lie all the time in LA. I mean, that's just like par for the course, but like I'm from the Midwest, you know, I'm very honest. I was taught like, you don't lie. I felt so stupid that I did that, that I like went to my therapist crying and she was like looking at me kind of like, I mean, she was very sensitive, but um, that I think is like, oh, another example of like, I should have said the truth because everybody else pretty much does. Um, but I was like ashamed, you know, and I think the shame overrode like logic there, but um, it is really a very straightforward city, but yeah, it is a very straightforward business and it's very different, but it taught me a lot about myself. And I think then coming back to the Midwest, like I was able to kind of see through people's bullshit a lot easier. I love that that story is actually you making you cry versus LA making you cry. Right. <laughs> yeah, because, because this person asked me that because the reality is, is that I think I thought the person was really putting me on the spot, you know, because people really want to know like what you're doing. Cause everyone's always like checking in with everybody. Cause it's all about comparison um, but anyway, that's a whole other different topic. So let's move on to <laughs> getting you off topic. Let's move on to more things about you. Yeah. Um, so you, you know, you worked for the IO theater for many years and then you um, started Storytown Improv and which is children's theater, children's theater, but also it's improv. It's an improvised story with music. Um, and you do that every week, um, for kids, although we are in the pandemic now, so things are a little different for you, but that's what you've been doing. It's very successful. And I think now this is just my opinion. Mm -hmm. I don't know what people would say. I should have checked in with Eric before I did this interview because obviously he knows you very well, but I would say that people see you as like a very progressive, smart, strong woman. You're very innovative. You're very like on point. Like you're always like one step ahead. And yet I've, I know I've known you for a long time. And I wonder if you also think that you're kind of traditional, because I think you're kind of traditional, which is like sort of this interesting, not conflict, like that like an, is that the word yeah, I was gonna say that but then I'm like I don't know if that's the word but I, I think so so do you would you agree with that I like I have never thought of myself as progressive or pushing the envelope and I don't know if it's because I have taken everything step by step what do you mean by that? Uh, well, I came out here. Uh, I took improv classes. Then I started interning. Then I started working in an office and helping like the theater produce things. Then I was part of another group 
that didn't work out. So, I, you know, then I started my own and it was just, it was baby steps along the way and nothing like huge groundbreaking things. Like one day I decided X, Y, Z. It was just like a gradual snowball that I even think about it. I'm like, wow, like I've been running this company for 10 years. Like that sounds bizarre considering for most things, I have a fear of commitment. So like that seems bizarre, but it's because everything was just like step-by-step and you know, I got a lawyer and he said, you do this. I got an insurance company. They said, you do this. And I just, you know, step. But let me, let me touch on something that's a little sensitive and we can always edit this out. Totally. But like, so you're in the Midwest, but you've got like this East coast thing, I think, because when we did hogwash, there was a thing where you wanted to take it over. And there was like this whole like conflict with the people who ran it before. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't know you at that time. So I only heard this from you, like after the fact or like kind of in the middle of the end of it or something, but so like, I, I know just from like friends I've had growing up in the Midwest, like we were not encouraged to like rock the boat at all. So if I was faced with a situation where I want to start taking over a theater company and it's been offered to me, and then there's some sort of conflict where somebody is offended, somebody else in the company is offended and starts working against me. I could see myself in your shoes at that age, early thirties, like totally not doing it and being terrified that I'm going to get sued or I'm going to, people aren't going to like me or like, I'm going to get a bad reputation for being a bitch in this industry. And you did it anyway. You kept going, you got a lawyer, you figured out what your rights were. And then you've actually superseded and really taken it to the next level and blown it out of the water. Well, but again, like all of it was little steps. So after we were on tour uh, in Cleveland County, you and I together, um, I wrote to the company and I didn't even know who to write, write to. So I did like the info at company email. And I was just like, hey, I just want to let you know that I had a really wonderful time this last week doing all these shows for schools and workshops and you know, if you need anything from me, I'll do it. Uh, to which they responded. Um, and I started kind of being a gopher for someone and doing little things here and there and handling this and that. Um, and it was never like I wanted to take over this thing. It was more, I really enjoyed this. And if there's any way I can help and make it so I get to do more of this, that'd be kind of swell. Um, and then step by well. step, step by step, it was like, well, then we want to do this run at this theater. Can you talk to them and do this stuff? Because I'm not physically in the theater. So I started doing things 
and then there were internal issues and a lot of people, I say a lot, there are not even a lot of people involved, but it was, um, what is the word I want to use? It was not implied, but suggested that maybe I could talk to the theater I worked at and we could get a run there and that would really help the company. Um, but at that time, that was not a favor. I was ready to call in. Um, yeah. And then there were some financial issues and the two partners um, wanted to sever ties and it was kind of left at this thing. And at that point, I wasn't doing any other performing in Chicago. And this was the one thing I had found the most joy in. And I was like, yeah. well, if they thought my connection to IO was as valuable as it is, maybe now is the time that it is the most valuable. Uh, and I asked, you know, to do it then. And then there was a snowball of things going out of control. But at that point, I was already knee deep. I enjoyed performing for kids and I are, had already called in my favor. So it wasn't so much uh, I'm rising to the top, more of a shit, I have to dig myself out of this. Um, yeah. And I do remember during it, there was another show at IO and uh, someone who was, I mean, I guess I can say his name, Blaine Swin, was doing improvised Shakespeare. And I was just like, I was, I was heartsick because I was like, things are going wrong. And in some eyes, I am a bad person. And there are rumors and things are, people are saying things. And, and he went, Jill. I like you people in this building like you, but it's okay if not everyone likes you. And in the scheme of life, not everyone is going to like you and that's okay. No one is liked by everyone. And I was like, okay. Then you meet Eric and you get married and I learned so much more about you because you have these like traditional things about you, but I don't know if you think that they're traditional or if it's just very, just you, just Jill. Um, so I will say when I moved to Chicago, home became very important to me, which uh, is odd because I know a big thing for my mother is we moved a lot on the East Coast um, from house to house. As my father lived on the proving ground, like you're put there by the army. But then when he moved out of, you know, that and started working for the government, like then we moved and we just kind of moved a lot um, to different neighborhoods, different houses. So then my mother always was so upset that I didn't have a home to come back to. Like my childhood home wasn't there, but I never 
I never felt that sorrow or longing. It was her. And I was just like, I don't understand. Like we moved, like I, it, none of that was sentimental to me. Hmm. Uh, and then here, like I very much was like, this is my home. And I started setting up apartments that were very much like my safe space and haven that I wanted anyone to feel welcome in. Uh, yeah. And I don't know if that's a getting older nesting thing. I don't know if that's just me finding myself finally. Um, but home has become very important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're very good at making a home for sure. I mean, that's, I love being, I loved being in your apartment before you met Eric. And then I love you guys as condo and it's always so warm. You're always, which we will get into this, but you're always baking something, especially pies. Love. If you don't know this, Jill is the pie master. She loves making pies for people and her husband who eats a lot of pie. I know. It's not my fault. <laughs> um, but I think that it's so interesting that we are living in a time when we can be both, you know, and I, I always felt like before I moved to Chicago, I didn't quite feel like I fit in with a lot of women that I knew in the, in Indiana. But then when I got to Chicago, it was still the Midwest, but like, I felt like I got permission to kind of find my identity outside of like some of the other stuff that I thought I had to be. And, um, that's what I love about Chicago is that it's very liberal, but it's still the Midwest and segueing into some of those traditional values. Um, you do work with kids. You work very well with kids. You teach kids. Um, and then of course, Storytown is a performance for children. And I mean, I've watched you work with kids for years. And before the pandemic, I was bringing Jennings to Storytown, even though he was an infant, because it's just so magical what you do and how you are with kids. So then that kind of begs the question of like, obviously you don't have children and how has that played out in your life? Because do you feel like, because you're so good at making a home because you're so good working with kids, do you feel like then there's been this expectation maybe that you're going to have kids? So it's funny that I think, and I, I mean, I can't speak for a man. I can't speak for, um, someone who's, uh, non-binary, but I know growing up, like 28 was the scary age. Like definitely by 28, I'm going to be married and have several children. Like <laughs> that's very much what I thought. Like if I wasn't married or, and had kids at 28, ugh, I was in trouble. Uh, and here I am 39, no children. 
Um, so growing up, I very much thought I was going to have kids. And I don't know if it's because I didn't think I, I don't want to say I don't think I couldn't have kids. It was just, that's what I thought. Like I was going to have kids. Like I was a woman. I was going to get married. I was going to have kids. Right. Uh, And then I love them so much. I love teaching children. I love working with them. I don't know if I want one next to me all the time. And right. I don't know if it's because I teach them all the time and I get, I try to give 100% whenever I do that. Uh, is it selfish now that I'm like, oh, I don't need that myself. Like I don't need a human next to me at all times. Um, it breaks my mother's heart. It, I think actually more broke my little brother's heart. I think he called, really? I think he called me once and think, chill. Mom told me you don't want to have children. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to have them. And he was like (laughs) devastated. So upset and was trying to sell me on it. But you're so good with them. And then you could do this and you could do that. And like really had a very hard time with it. Yeah. That's it's just funny because I know Tim. So it's just funny that he was devastated and just because I know him. I mean, I think that there's so many women that don't have children, obviously, and don't want children. And I think that like, but what makes it really interesting for you is that you're so good with kids. And I think that that, you know, I didn't know that you didn't want kids until we talked about it more, but there is that expectation of like, oh, women are good at something or like, you know, historically, like this is what you do. Um, And I find it really admirable that you like not only know that about yourself, but then you also are like, yeah, this is, this is what I'm doing. Like I'm, I've made a home for my husband and I, I love to work with kids, but I'm not going to go down that path. And that's that. Everyone does assume I have kids. Any like parents, um, Storytown parents or families or people that I teach, they do assume I have children. Right. Except for hope, except for one little boy. Um, There is one little boy that I teach on Zoom very regularly. Um, He signs up for all my classes. Uh, And the other night... We were doing a class where we go on an animal hunt, an animal adventure, and we were looking for a dinosaur, and I pretended to be scared, and I'm running away from it after we go through all the things and find the dinosaur, and he's like, he's chasing you. I have to build you a house, so he built me an imaginary house, Uh, and at the end of it, I go, my family is not going to believe I went on an adventure today to find a dinosaur, and he looked at me and went, you have a family? (laughs) yeah I have a cat and a husband and he lost his mind he was like what you can't have a family you're a teacher okay so my last question for you before we get into the fun stuff is tell me 
why pie is your love language? When did you start making pie? I know you like to keep a home, but pie is like a whole separate thing for you. Pie? Someone asked me this the other day of like, how did I get started on pie? Um, when I moved to Chicago, so my aunt lives in a Western suburb, um, has stayed in the area her entire life. So she's in a Western suburb. So she has a very Midwestern accent. It's really fun. Um, because she thinks the rest of my family has a weird East coast accent. So it's hysterical. Which I've met your, like I've, you know, talked to your mom many times. And then I think I've met the aunt that you're referring to. Oh, Margie. Yeah. I mean, come on. Her name yeah. is Margie. Mar- but like, I, I don't know if I really notice. Well, for sure, your mom doesn't have one. A Midwest? She doesn't have an accent. No, your mom doesn't have an East Coast accent. Uh, Because my mother has fought against it. But she doesn't have a Midwestern anymore. So my aunt thinks she talks funny. I remember once I said I was going to turn the light on, which is, (laughs) yeah, which my mother freaked out. You don't talk like that. Because um, that's interesting. It's very Baltimorean. Uh, now, yeah. why did she fight against it? What? Why was she fighting against it? Because uh, my my mother is very my mother is very Midwest, and I think believes she still lives here and has things to yeah. uh, be. Chicago and doesn't would didn't want me to have a Baltimorean accent. Hey, hon. Interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So at once I said something about turning the light on, and she, and I say she lost it. Like I didn't like. She lost it in the most comical sense. It wasn't like a. She smacked you. She smacked the shit out of you. No, it was just like what, Jill? Don't talk like that. Um. (laughs) We're pure and proper Midwestern women. Um, so back to my aunt. Um, so I was going to my aunt's for Thanksgiving and I was like, what can I bring? Granted, I was going to take the Metra out there. Uh, and she was like, whatever you want. So I was like, I'll make a pie. Now, I'd never made a pie before. Nor had I ever made pie crust before. Was this, I feel like this story is familiar. Like this must've happened when we were friends. I mean, this was before Timmy moved out here. I probably was, I mean, I was in my second, I was in my third apartment in Chicago. So I was living in Lincoln park in a coach house that. Okay. Maybe not. Um, was living I'd moved in with a boy um we broke up he got the bedroom furniture I got the apartment and his friend Genevieve that's what happened in the split um so I I never made pie crisp before so you have I mean the instructions always say to let it chill in the fridge for like an hour before you roll it out 
So I had probably attempted this pie crust three times, which means I was very late for Thanksgiving. Oddly, my aunt understood. Like, you think that'd be like, you're late. Like, don't worry about it. Like, just come. Like, she was like, I got it. Keep working on it. <laughs> or no. at least that's how that's I remember funny. the story. Um, and then my brother moved out here, was staying at my apartment, and my family was going to come from Maryland to have Thanksgiving. At the last minute, something came up. They didn't come traveling. So it was just my little brother and I. And Thanksgiving is like the biggest like family get together eat like. So it's just the two of us. So it was kind of sad. So to like pep myself up, I was like, great. I'm going to make like eight or nine different types of pies. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was pie skiving. And I made a bunch of different, like, that's all we ate was pie. (laughs) (laughs) Some of them were savory. One of them was shepherd's pie with turkey in it. Yeah. Only made sweet pies. Um, So, like, I, I just had, like, a fond memory of that. And have always been into baking or at least thinking I wanted to bake I remember at one point buying all these sorts of cake decorating supplies but it never stuck I don't even really like making cake I'm not good at making cake I when in doubt just throw it in a bunt pan and at least it looks somewhat presentable um but there's something about making a pie Um, I thoroughly enjoy the making the crust. I have gone through many different phases and ways of making my crust, uh, and different recipes. I I think the great and horrible thing about a pie is you really can't taste it until it's done. The way you taste batter. Like it doesn't come together till the end. And once you cut into it, like you just got to eat the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, And I do think there is a rustic beauty to pie. Whereas like cake is often decorated. Like pie isn't. Pie is just pie. Yeah. Love it. Also, what I really love about your pies is that, um, which we didn't really get into this very much, but like, I think that you and I have often talked about like having such a love for food and like, but then that also being very difficult for both of us in terms of wanting to stay fit and like body, like feelings about our bodies and like. I gain weight really easily. You gain weight really easily. So we're always like talking about different ways to sort of stay mentally balanced so that we don't go down like the wormhole of like, you know, constant calorie counting, like just being very like active and healthy with our mental health, blah, blah, blah. But what I love about the pie is that 
um, you don't cut corners with your pie. You know, like I feel like people are really afraid of dessert because it means you're going to get fat <laughs> you know? and like any dessert. And I feel like you are just like, you're very mindful of your health, but when it comes to pie, you're like the cream's going in the full butter. If it calls for, Oh yeah. It's going in like, there's no cutting corners and you're like by the book and your pies therefore are truly amazing. And like, I'll never forget when you made me that Amish cream pie for the first time. I told me about Amish sugar. I didn't know what it, it is probably one of my favorite pies. And I'd never, I'd offered you a pie. I said, if you want a pie, what kind? And you said sugar cream. And I was thinking that was just a category of pie. Like you have fruit pie, you have cream pie, like sugar cream. I just thought was a category. It is the most delicious thing. And I am forever grateful of you bringing it into my life. It's, it, it is, it's a great pie and you made it so well. And I think that that really is so what's interesting. I think it's very metaphorical because I think that you as a person are very, um, and this is what I was trying to say earlier. Like you do have a very outside of the box thinking personality. Like when I come to you with a conflict, you're always like coming at it from a totally different perspective and it makes you very, um, unique and it just makes you a great friend. And then you, but then it's like, you also have like these really hard traditional values. Like you're very much dedicated to like, like you love being married and you're very dedicated to making life wonderful with Eric and you love keeping a home. And so therefore like, you're always like focused on like the most perfect decor and just the way you have things set up. And I think like then this pot, you know, and that with the pie being the metaphor for that of like, it is just a pie. It's very straightforward, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's not cut in corners. It's got everything that it needs to be the best pie because you have to still have like the balance in your life. And like every time I get a pie from you, I'm like, oh, it's going to be a great week because I'm just going to eat pie all week. <laughs> and I, and I allow myself to do it because it was a gift from you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would not normally go to the store and buy a pie and eat it all week. I also, I wish I was more artsy. Like I'm not very good at drawing. I'm not really good at painting. And I wish I had an outlet, which is, I think, what pie is for me. I don't necessarily have to eat it. Yeah, I just, sure. like, want to make it. Sure. And I want everybody else to eat it and tell me what it tastes like. And I think that's so magical about being a Midwest woman. It's like, I think Midwestern women do love to cook. And I'm not going to say everybody does because clearly not everybody loves everything, but I think it's like one of those signature things. 
And I think there is like a love language. That is a love language of a Midwest woman. Well, and men. I Midwest men. I made a pie and I brought it into IO when I was working there. And I left that day so upset because no one cut into it. Huh. I was so mad. Like, that is what made me angry. I was like, if someone brings a goddamn pie into the office, you taste it. I'm so mad. Which now, uh, when we go places, Eric is good because one, he'll always take a slice out. But he's like, you have to start it because no one wants to be the first one. So he'll take a slice out. He's such a giver. Thank you, Faith. So here's the next thing. So we're going to do a little improv here. Pretend. (laughs) Pretend I'm your mom. And we're on a phone phone call. Yes. But you only have the ability to talk sports. Oh, my goodness. My mother loves sports. Oh, that's right. She does love sports. I don't know why I came up with this. My mother doesn't love sports. My mother loves the Cubs. So she is super into baseball. Um, my, My mother also loves the Tour de France. But it might just because they ride their bikes through France. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, okay. So I'm going to start the scene. Gosh. Okay. Got this. Okay. Jill, I had the greatest idea. I think for Halloween, we should do like a virtual Zoom party with the nieces and, and your brothers and, and, you know, even Tim. And I think it would be really great. Time out. You're offside. I'm, I'm outside? No, offside. I'm offside. Oh, I didn't realize that. Does that mean I'm off topic? I didn't. Is there a particular topic I was, we were going to talk about? I'm throwing a yellow flag. <laughs> that would be perfect because I was thinking that you could be Big Bird and I I've, I've could send you the costume that I made. Now you're getting sent back to the minor leagues. Jill, I I feel like, you know, we're missing a connection here. I, I'm trying to have fun with you, and, and you're accusing me of things that I don't even understand. It's foul. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> you committed to that so hard. I tried. That was so great. Okay, last question that I have for you. Out of all the hairstyles that you've had. Oh, Jesus. Which is your favorite? I always believe deep down that I am a a curly-haired woman that wears it short. And I don't know if I actually am, but I really want to be. But I haven't gotten my hair cut in a seven months. And I might be okay with it. Have you worn it, Curl? I mean, your hair is naturally wavy, right? It depends on the day. 
Not so hmm. much anymore. It goes through ebbs and flows. But I did, you know, buy that one beach waiver off of QVC during quarantine for a hundred dollars. That beach waiver thing, when you showed up and saw me recently, it it's great. It's a great investment. It's my favorite. And my husband might hate it, but I don't think he'd ever tell me. But did you ever have a perm when you were younger? Oh my gosh. Yes. So I actually got two different perms. Um, I got a perm once, maybe fourth grade. Um, I was in the Nutcracker and I was one of the party children and got the curliest perm of my life. Um, Might have also had bangs. And then later, maybe like fifth or sixth grade, I got a second perm, but it was more wavy. The first one, Mm. super like curls. Um, Yeah. But I'll like go back through like some pictures and I know like in college, once when I went to spring break in Florida, like my hair just was, I get the humidity, the salt uh, was super curly. Um, I also don't know how to style hair. So sometimes I will just go shorter. Once I went really long because I dated a guy who preferred it longer and I always kept cutting it a little shorter. So when we broke up, I grew it really long. (laughs) I love that that's where we ended. (laughs) Oh, my God. 